Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. Hey, thank you very much to Dan McCarty for the intro there. It's time once again for today's Cattleman's Call podcast. And our guests are already laughing. They're chuckling right now. They're from Oregon, and we are happy to have them with us. A diversified operation up there in the Pacific Northwest. Let's introduce our guest today, Sky and Penny Krebs. Thanks for joining the show here today. Are, are, are you as excited today, Sky, as when the first time that I had the opportunity to interview you way back in the day? Well, I'm, I'm way, por- way more prepared today than I was last time because I didn't realize how in- intense you were until you started the broadcast. So yeah, we're, we're excited to be here, so thank you. <laughs> Penny, uh, we're in Great Falls, Montana. You're attending a national meeting of the Public Lands Council, their 51st meeting. Uh, what's it like being on the road here this week away from the operation? Oh, gosh, as, as I told you before, we took a little five-day trip before we got here and went up into Canada and saw some things there. So we got to incorporate it into a rare and unusual vacation. But on our when we get home, we're going to hit the ground running because it's time to gather calves. So. It, and that it is. It's a very busy time of, of the year here in the fall. And w- when is it not busy no. <laughs> out on our ranches? Uh, but I'm excited to have you you as, as guests here today. And uh, for our listeners out there, I think it's going to be a great opportunity to, to listen to some great advice from producers who, who are married, that work together. I'm sure they work cows and sheep without any disagreements. Actually, we do pretty good. But that's what yeah. we want to get into. How did you mm-hmm. get to being pretty good? Because I'm sure there are some good examples that you could share with our, our, our younger married couples out there. Maybe some advice for me. I'm looking for that. Oh, you are. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, l- l- let's just talk about your operation first. Uh, where you're located, where, where your home headquarters is at, maybe where your summer range is at. And, of course, uh, we're not just going to talk about cattle in this podcast. We're going to talk about uh, uh, sheep and other ventures that you're involved in to, to, to make things work out in the countryside. Sure. Well, it's uh, we winter in the Columbia Basin right right by the Columbia River, very windy on some low ground there. Uh, but winters are pretty easy. We don't feed a lot of hay at the winter time, but uh, we do have to truck all the animals to the summer range. We're roughly 200 miles away. So it's kind of a big move in the spring to get all the sheep and the cows hauled up there. Uh, it takes a lot of trucks, a lot of coordination. Summer up in the high mountains, ship the lambs out in uh, August, start shipping the calves this month, uh, hang around there till November reverse the process, send them all back down to the low country, live in two houses, kind of like modern day gypsies. We own two of everything. Uh, Back to what you said, getting along, we had good, we're the third generations to be there. So we know a thing or two about how families got to get along. So just shut up and uh, make it happen. And uh, it works out fairly well. Uh, Penny, how about yourself? Let's maybe talk about your your background. Uh, Did did you grow up in agriculture as well? Oh, yes. So I come from a family that lives just across the river. And my mother, she's one of eight children. And um, she's 85. But, um, you know, she had eight. And and I have, I think, 34 first cousins. And all of them are involved in agriculture. They all, in some way, mostly raise cattle, horses, rodeo. So I was raised like that, but not necessarily around sheep. It was, I had like a 4-H lamb once, but we showed some cattle growing up and stuff. So that was a little bit new for me. I didn't even know sheep camps with 3,000 sheep and stuff existed. Yeah. So it was interesting. I was working in a bank there in Arlington, and, you know, he came in, and I'm going, oh, cool. Like, 
really? They have sheep? What's that all about? I quickly learned. Yeah. Well, how many ranches were paid off because of sheep back in the day? Well, That's what I always remind cattlemen about. That's exactly (laughs) right. The old saying is, sheep for money, cows for friends, holds pretty true. So (laughs) if you're going to get any kind of notoriety, you got to run a few cows. But they work well together in our situation. Yeah, we started out as a sheep outfit, then... Of course, you had to diversify, so we got into the cow deal. We run it about 50-50 deal, but range management and uh, everything that goes on with that it's, it's, uh, allows us three more crops, um, beef, lamb, and the wool. And the wool, quite frankly, has been a moneymaker here recently. So uh, it's just more diversity in the portfolio. Uh, so we've made it work. It's not for everybody, if you've, so... <laughs> Make sure you want it before you get into the sheep industry. So how long have you two been married then? 37 years. 37 years. Mm -hmm. You've been able to raise a family out there. Mm -hmm. What what are your goals right now? I I, I want to talk about your management, uh, your your diversification, and maybe maybe some succession planning, what Mm -hmm. what the future looks like. Yeah, we worked on succession planning. Yeah, we've done that. We... um, I think we're on top of it for now. It's always forever changing. So, um, you know, it's forever changing. The tax... The tax thing's big, you know, estate tax is big. How do you keep a ranch going when, you know, you have to constantly worry about the, the tax problems and getting it to the next generation because you can't hardly afford to buy agricultural land and actually make it pay for itself, especially grazing. So, so what were some of those main challenges when you two first got married and started working together out, out on the operation that, that you faced then? Maybe they're the same issues, but uh, how, how have those changed over, over the past few decades? He has a smirk on his face. We're both afraid <laughs> well, to answer. Well, it was pretty easy. The main challenge was we were broke. It was, uh, yep. <laughs> it was, it was tough times there as everybody else went through in the ag mm-hmm. ag. Uh, ag world back then you know the interest rates and the commodity prices and uh you know clinton got into office and the the first program they axed was the old uh, wool incentive program the only one that wasn't funded by the u.s taxpayers so the ever-changing markets and we were young had a family but not saying anybody else didn't go through the same same thing and then we were at that point going through succession with with my dad and uh, the planning that took took that in place and then fortunately things have gotten better in in ag and we're not as broke as we once were and we're bringing our uh, our son and our daughter-in-law are involved in the ranch now and our our daughter doesn't live very far away so we've got grandkids galore so um We've managed to make it work. So for, for yourself, as you look at agriculture here today, you know, we, it's a tough time out in the farm economy. If you didn't have the diversification on your operation, would you be in business? Who's to say? I mean, it's agriculture survivors. Somehow, you know, we've survived depressions and world wars and governments. So... We seem to adapt well to adversity, so it's hard to say that, how to answer that. But uh, there's, if there's a will, there's a way. You can make it work. I would say pretty much. But back to how it was rough when we were, mm-hmm. I think when we were first married, we lived in this, this crappy house and stuff. We lived it for years, and, you know, houses don't make money. So anybody who is a ranch wife and things are tight, 
that's the last thing you're gonna. It's not gonna be a home improvement. I saw a. I was in a closet and I saw a. Um, you know, a hole up in the ceiling. It was kind of sealed up. So I wonder what's up there. It could be like some cool antiques or something. I get up there, nothing. It's just dirt. But when I looked down, I realized that the hanger in the closet used to be a shovel handle. So we really know how to recycle. I mean, we are about recycling all the time. Sky and I, just not that long ago, just what, seven years ago, we had to mix up cement. We went and found one up in a dump and it didn't even have the rubber tire. Mixed up cement and pretty proud of ourselves recyclers we are you know that could be a new trend though in urban areas mm-hmm. is you know sh- shovel handles in, in closets and whatnot mm-hmm. i mean if you're serious more about diversification it diversification for the place there yep penny owns that one too. <laughs> so maybe let's uh jump back to to the the grazing operations there um and how sheep and, and cattle complement each other how has that improved your, your rangeland, and over the years, how have you changed your grazing strategies and maybe even focused on soil health and different varieties that you can have out on the rangeland? Sure. So we still have herders with our sheep. We're very, very fluid. We're able to uh, move them wherever we want. Cows obviously run under, run under a pasture situation. So we're able to cycle those sheep behind. If we're starting to see some weeds or some invasives come in, we can use the sheep to uh, target target a specific area. Of course, we do have fed, federal lands, BLM, and a forest, forest service deal uh, permit, so we're not so flexible on those. Those are species specific. And the other niche that happens to work for us is uh, in the basin, there's a lot of grass seed farmers, and they, in the fall, they will prefer sheep to come do their aftermath. So it just happens to be located between the winter and the summer place. We'll, so we'll stop there for two or three months, do the electric fencing, very mobile, mobile water, mobile corrals, and able to graze those uh, grass fields for those farmers at a very reasonable rate versus that can't do that with the cows, the, too much trailing and stuff. So that's another component that fits well into our into our uh, business is being able to do some aftermath grazing there in the fall. You know, you mentioned uh, having migrant workers or utilizing that H-2A program. And, and I think a lot of maybe cow-calf producers uh, obviously don't utilize that a lot. The sheep industry does. But you look into the feedlots, you look into our processing facilities, and how H-2A is truly a very big issue out across the countryside and one that is it's a tough battle out in Washington, D.C. on immigration reform because H-2A, of course, is a legal workforce, but it gets tied into the conversations about uh, um, uh, the situations on the border and whatnot in the political uh, stance. But how is H-2A, have you been involved in that conversation through your involvement with NCBA, your state associations, and your involvement with PLC and the American Sheep Industry Association as well? Well... Sheepmen are innovative when it comes to coming up with solutions, so I'm not sure the exact year Western Range was formed to bring in uh, specifically sheep herders under the H-2A to come in and, and work specifically with sheep because they didn't want them competing and taking away domestic jobs. So anyway, Western Range Association has been great. Uh, I, th- I think it can be a model to be used for H-2A reform. I mean, if, if the sheep... Sheep, sheep guys can make it work. Why can't the rest of the ag, ag people make it work? Uh, it's a legal workforce. It does require some paperwork. you got to make sure you comply, housing, uh, follow all that. But 
it's a good program. I'm I'm thinking they should look at it as as a model and uh, get a, a a legal, very reliable workforce. The guys we get are top of the line. They're one family, and uh, we just don't have any issues with them. And uh, so I don't know. I hope it gets replicated. For us too, back with the sheep herders, you know, I like Sky said, one family, and so. When, you know, they come, they spend, you know, several years here. They they come on a three-year contract, and they can go home. No, they're not slaves or anything. They go home, but they do sign a three-year contract. And, um, you know, they they do well. They make good money, and they are able to really help their own families. And nowadays with cell phones and stuff, it's really handy, and they can, they can FaceTime their kids at home. And, you know, it's a little different than it used to be. So it's, it's a good thing, and they're a family, so they're not so homesick and... Everybody's happy. We really, we really like our guys. Yeah. Now there might be some listeners out here saying this is called the Cattleman's Call podcast, and we're talking <laughs> about sheep. But I, I think it's a good conversation to have. You know, I keep you know throwing out it's a diversified operation. But what are some examples that the cattle industry needs to learn from the struggles of the, the sheep industry over the years? When maybe it comes to grazing on federal lands, uh, when it comes to interaction with uh, wild wildlife such as the bighorn sheep because um, jj goikachia says it best that the environmentalists and the activists all have gone after the sheep guys first and the cattle industry needs to pay attention to that what, what's your experience or thought on that i know you got something to say on it sky well in any ag sector dealing with the bureaucrats whether it be your state government or or the national government the education process that goes along with trying to educate peoples that are allowed to uh, regulate our industry is very challenging uh they try and do wage increases to uh to our hua people trying to put them on a 40-hour work week or some kind of a scale like that that's just non-applicable to any any ag worker. So being able to educate the decision makers on what actually goes out in the country so uh, is, is very challenging. As everybody knows, D.C. lives in a vacuum and trying to get, get them to understand what goes on in the real world. Uh, as the sheep industry, we've, we've faced the, the bighorn battle, uh, wildlife services is another agency that always gets targeted. And, uh, as everybody knows, predators prefer sheep. So that's been, it's challenging to keep, keep those people in the game. And of course you've got all these activists out there now, the, the PETA people, the wildlife people all wanting to save the world. And the world they're trying to save is is more than likely the world that livestock have have improved, and they're looking out there and they want to preserve it. But the first thing you want to do is get rid of the livestock, so it makes no sense. So continuing to educate decision makers, I would say, is a challenge. You know, and a lot of people when they think of Oregon, they just think of Portland, but it's a very big agriculture state. Maybe let's talk about just the interactions you've had on the state level, maybe with the state legislature, maybe with consumers, and experiences you've went through, maybe some suggestions you have for, for other producers that are, are, are ranching in, in larger areas or, or that have, you know, different politics from what's out in the countryside. Oregon is diverse. And like most Western states, there's a huge urban area that is totally disconnected from the rural areas. And uh, in our particular state, it's it's Portland, obviously, and that's where the votes are. 
and uh, they can elect they can elect a majority in the houses. Uh, we did have a very proud moment here last summer in Oregon politics. They had the governor, they had the Senate, and uh, they had the House with super majorities, but they didn't have a quorum. So uh, our senators went AWOL, and without the quorum, they couldn't vote. Started a movement in the state. Uh, they were trying to, they'd gone too far with some taxing deals. And uh, pretty soon, the, the log, log truck drivers kind of started it in the valley, and they called it Timber Unity. And they put out, I'm not sure how they circulated it, whether it was Facebook or whatever, but they said, get your log truck, get down here to Salem, we need to make a statement. They went down there, they uh, protested peace, peacefully, but uh, people got tired of those raw log trucks rolling around the Capitol building, and they made a statement. And anyway, at that point, uh, they realized that they'd gone too far, that they were starting to get pushback, that was going to start hurting rural communities and they pulled it back slowed it down not sure it's not going to circle back but you got to be there at the table and unfortunately politicking is hard work I'd, both of us would rather be home working on the ranch but uh you just, it's all these groups that represent ag whether it be ncba uh asi plc everybody's got to be at the table and you got to be there at the state level as as well uh if we would show up in the numbers that are registered we could we could win some races but uh, when voter participation only gets 50 percent and you got to accept the results so you gotta you gotta vote to change it so that's just advice for every state so your example of the logging industry, what, what is the state of the logging industry in, in Oregon? In, in Montana, again, I reference Montana a lot because obviously I'm, I, I'm from here, and the logging industry is just shuttered in western Montana because of regulations and over-regulations. Um, how, how has that impacted uh, the state? Because obviously it's an agricultural crop logging is considered how's that impacted uh, advocacy on your end and just work working with other loggers or hearing from their successes or their failures up on the hill well un unfortunately again oregon was the leader in the epicenter of the environmental movement and the spotted owl literally killed the timber industry in uh in west western oregon which was some, unfortunately some of the most beautiful timber in the world uh, they claimed it was harming the spotted owl, and here we are 30 years later, and uh, there's not been significant recovery of the spotted owl, but you've killed all those towns up and down, those logging towns, those good logging jobs, those mill towns are now... The reason you can tell they've had a declining population is there used to hardly be a eight-man football league in the state, and then as the towns all lost their people pretty soon there's more eight-man football teams because they couldn't have 11-man football and now it's even down that they've got a six-man football team so it's kind of a weird way to uh, show you how the population is do, has uh, gone down so pretty soon we'll just be playing basketball I don't know but that's that's one of the ways. The timber industry, what's left are the, are the rock-solid people, the better managers, mostly private now. Uh, forest service sales are few and far between. Uh, back to the grazing side, part of our, our ranch operation is a, is a grazing lease from a timber company. And, uh, again, they use grazing as, as part of their management. If they do do a, a partial clear cut, they'll come back in and, and reseed it, and they don't want competition with, with grass. So that's a, it works well. 
works very well between the two two industries and of course we sit we sit uh, jointly on a lot of these a lot of these issues uh, Western Resource Legal Center is a, is an example they've got uh, the logging the mining and the ag deal because we're we're dealing the same activists I mean they don't want resource users out there so it's it's a good relationship you mentioned you know being a member and participating in NCBA in your Oregon State Associations, uh, Public Lands Council, American Sheep Industry Association, because there's a lot of issues on the national front, uh, whether that be NEPA, Endangered Species Act. Uh, could you just speak how uh, these regulations have impacted your operation and, and why it's important to come have a seat at the table at, at, at events like Public Lands Council like we're at right now? Well, we've seen it firsthand where uh, dealing with s salmon issues, bull trout, the Endangered Species Act, uh, this little bit of old history here, but there was a, a listing that came out like midsummer, and uh, through all the alphabet agencies, they were going to try to enjoin grazing like in July, and you were going to remove all the livestock from those, uh, at that point it was threatened species or habitat, I'm not quite sure what it was but yeah it can happen on a moment's notice uh any agency with regulatory power can make an interpretation and you may or may not have time to uh to be there at the table they can just come out and shut you down so as it that's why it's important what i said earlier you got to continue to educate work with those agencies we're fortunate that we do have a good working relationship with our people on the ground we've been there i mean We've managed it longer than any of those managers or those range techs have ever been there. I mean, we've gone three generations of management. So if they go out there and see it's right, why do you want to change something like that? So, again, you know, it's not glamorous meetings. Who wants to go to meetings? But uh, if you don't do it, then you can end up with those catastrophic decisions that uh, – could shut you down in 30 days or less. So you, you mentioned working with like agency officials or, or range cons or, or anyone like that, maybe on your public lands or working with USDA, Farm Service Agency, maybe maybe could be another example. What, what are some tips that you have for producers that maybe aren't having a good relationship with an agency official? Maybe they, maybe they do have a good relationship. Uh, I, and I don't know your examples or... or interactions from over the years but uh, what's that been like working with agency personnel or or just being you know having sitting at the table and educating each other possibly well I, I do have examples on that I, <laughs> I have I have never had a bad field trip in the field you can sit all day long in an office and argue all day long but when you get out on the ground, something seems to change, and you get out and you start looking at it. And uh, I personally have had confrontations till we got out on the ground. We both look at it and uh, see it from one another's point of view. And in just speaking on our own on our own behalf, they've ended well. We've got out, got it worked out. Uh, whether that be stream crossing, uh, we had a big reseeding project after a fire a couple years ago they wanted to uh, reseed and uh, rest for three years it's very dry arid country reseeding is tough anyway set a meeting up come out looked at it decided the better thing to do was to uh, jump ahead of the weeds everybody's great grounds restored so being in the field seems to make a difference 
Now, now Penny, I want to turn this to you. We have a lot of young people listen to this podcast. What's your advice to young women in agriculture? What, what's something you'd like to share with with uh, maybe young uh, young lady in college, or maybe just uh, you know start an adventure with their with their spouse? What What are some tips? If you're firstly married. You yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, 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 there we you go. have to be super patient. Call your mom if you need to a lot, and uh, I don't know. I I was lucky because I I you know, was raised in agriculture. So I could, I didn't know that much about the sheep, but I could cook a meal and I could, you know, do paperwork and help with all that kind of things. And I do the, I do the office too. I do the office work. I, I laugh because I mean, we get up in the morning, five thirty, six o'clock. And before we get to the coffee pot, Sky's going, you need to answer this, send somebody this, do that. And our office is right by our kitchen. And we'll go in there. Sometimes I don't even have a coffee in my hand. So sometimes I get my best work done in my pajamas. By 10 o'clock in the morning, I'll look up and, gosh, I hope nobody shows up. i got to go in there and get dressed, you know. But, yeah, patience. And um, we don't yell at each other. We just, that's not who we are. We just don't do that. Sky's not a big yeller. I probably could have been, I guess. But I've had to learn from him. Yeah. So, yeah, we sort cattle together, and we ride together. Um, I do help with the cattle probably a little bit more hands-on than I do with the sheep, although for probably 25 years I raised 100 bummer lambs or more. Yeah, but now we have this great new milk machine that works out right where the lamb and the herders just pour the stuff in it, and they pretty much take care of it now. So I've gotten to retire from that task. I'm not that sad about it either. Yeah. Now, of course, the, the the three of us have got to know each other over the years by by just attending events, and uh, you know I always laugh. You know the the Public Lands Council Legislative Conference out in Washington D.C. that is uh, right before the NCBA LegCon. Uh, they always have a cook-off. They have the beef guys versus the sheep guys, and the sheep guys beat the cattle guys in that cook-off this year, two years in a row. Is that right? Well, not bragging, but, you know, we went into a hostile environment with a stack decked, a bunch of cowboys around there, and as you all know, all cowboys hate lamb, but you get, we never come home with any leftovers. I don't know what happens to that lamb, but yeah, we have gone in there and uh, won the cook-off. Looking forward to the three-peat this year. Penny and Matt have been working on some secret recipes. So, uh, yeah, if you want to witness it, show up in the spring there and uh, watch the sheep guys kick the cowboys' butts. I mean, uh, just come and participate. <laughs> and you're a pretty good marketer, though, too, hey, walking my, around with those uh, lamb burgers. I can sell it. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty good at selling it. If I had more time, I'd totally get into that. I was kind of wanted to sell cars or something. I just really feel like I can sell it. And it's the competition, too. It's pretty fun. And, you know, a lot of people, they are. we have our name on the wall back there, NCBA, on the plaques. You know, it says Krebs Sheep Company, which I'm sure people look at that and go, why are they? But we're equally invested in cattle, too. It just seems we're known for that more, so we can just sort of run with it because it's a great conversation, too. You know, we and I mentioned, you know, meeting you all at uh, different events and, and conventions and, you know, having a seat at the table. It's not easy to to make the decision like, hey, we, we're going to be gone for this many days. You know, we have to work with with those that are going to help take care of the operation when we're gone. Um, you know, when when did you decide that we we needed to be active in the industry? We had to step up, whether that's at the state level. How, how did you get your start in just uh, on the county, state level, and the national level? Well, 
my uh my family's been active my dad and my mother both were active on the, on the sheep grower side and as i watched that i remember telling penny when we first got married that i'm saying i'm never going to do that because i just want to stay home and work but as it as it goes by it's just another part of being in business you got to be at these meetings because you just can't stay at home and if you are staying at home you're putting that burden on somebody else. So that's not fair either. So if you can't attend, at least send the dues money into whatever organization that you want to belong to. But uh, if that's, and that's, that's critical too. That's, that's good participation. And uh, we were fortunate. We got great backup. We got family that can stay at home and make sure everything's done. We got a great bunch of people that work, work for us. So, not everybody has that opportunity, but we're fortunate enough that we, we do. And what's your thought on that? So, yeah, I, I, when we were young, we couldn't go because, and, and Sky's dad could go, you know, when he was older and he could go and he went quite a bit. And we, I don't know, I think our kids, about 10 years into our marriage, Sky started going. And, you know, of course, if you go, they're going to elect you to office if you look the least bit willing, you know. So anyway, yeah, we went from there. I mean, and um, our son Kip is at home, and he can do everything, you know. He uh, he was doing our banking, and he sent me a message last night, and he goes, sorry I spent all your money while you were gone, Mom. <laughs> I go, okay, all right, we can we can make that a bunch of stuff do. And anyway, they, we, have, we have really good people that can handle stuff, and the herders are good, and they're, the lambs are shipped, so they're just with ewes. And, yeah, we're, we're lucky. So... Well, what's your son think of this, that example though now, what, what's his thought process on, on stepping up and, uh, and, uh, being away and, uh, what, what's your thought on that though too, because he's home helping take care of it. Uh, what, how, what are those conversations like? Well, we're almost into uh role reversal. He, he's taken a position with the sheep growers. Fact is he goes in as uh, he goes in as president in December so hopefully he can uh, start traveling, going to these these industry meetings. And Penny and I are looking forward to maybe just hitting the big ones, doing a little travel, and uh, slowing down on the on the political side, because we do identify it is a cost of doing business to being being involved with this. A little tougher for a younger family to travel with kids, but that gives us more grandma. Grandma and Grandpa time if we get to keep the kids while they're gone. So I kind of see it flipping around and going the other way. And when you think about when you start working with 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 your folks to transition the operation, and now you look to the next generation, what are some things that you've learned along the way? Things that you're doing differently, and uh, what are some of those struggles that you can share with other families out there that maybe even have, haven't thought about? passing the operation on or the business next generation boy succession planning is is tough as as everybody knows because it's such a moving target with uh just with like the inheritance tax if if it was permanently repealed that would be great but you got to continue to plan for a moving target that you don't really know whether it's going to be the current whatever it is x percent or they're going to take it back to the 50 percent where you're looking and having to uh, liquidate assets so continue to plan but there's not one plan that's going to work year after year because like i said it's a it's a moving target but 
keep the kids involved, make sure they got transparent. Uh, we do talk about it. Oh, I don't know how often we talk about it, at least a couple times a year, just to make sure that it is is on the forefront. But that's a tough one. I mean, ag's f- struggled with it forever. There's, there's whole businesses in succession planning. <laughs> so, uh, like I said, tough, tough one, but uh, at least get started, get started doing something. Yeah, we have a plan, and it's probably good for six months. I mean, it's, it's when you plan it, you think it's going to be good for years and years, but you don't ever know what's really going to happen. So, yeah, we have a plan. I mean, we constantly, most of the decisions we make, actually, right now at our age, we're, you know, the first part of our 60s. Oh, gosh, well, if we invest in that, or maybe Kip should buy it, you know, and keep it off of our off of our um, list of equipment or whatever, you know, just, I don't know. I, you just do your best. Yeah. And, you know, relationships change. We've, we're lucky, but you never know. Gosh. I, mean, I think I'm probably going to stay married to you, though. But. <laughs> <laughs> just making a joke there. Uh, hopefully the podcast doesn't yeah. create any friction here today. <laughs> yeah, where, where are you headed with this stuff? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not Dr. Phil. <laughs> I got a better head of hair than he does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but let's uh, maybe uh, talk about the, the current state of agriculture in the future. Obviously, ag has its ups and it has its downs. Uh, what's your feeling about the future of agriculture? Well, people got to eat, obviously. And uh, we're the most efficient users of, uh, of technology. I mean, look at any of the numbers. We raise more beef with less cows, farm more acres with uh less less diesel so the true what do we what do you say the true environmentalists or the mm-hmm. people in ag i think there's a bright future actually as uh as these other countries start wanting better protein who else is going to grow it more efficiently than u.s ag and uh fortunately the millennials like wool and uh, so they're looking at natural fibers, uh, wool and cotton versus the old synthetics. So I think we got a great story. Uh, we've managed to make money through the years and survive it. I, I don't see people not eating or not, not using leather or, or uh, quit eating burgers. So who else has got a better business plan than something people do three times a day? So there you go. But maybe that's the majority of people I think maybe and sometimes I wonder about myself do you have a Pollyanna attitude because I I feel like Sky does too but on the other hand I really feel like we need to talk to the public like they're five years old because most of them don't care don't know it's not that they don't care their lives are so busy but they don't realize you really have the best people out here running the lands in the west we're we should be rock stars now with fires and everything we should be like on billboards these people are doing this great job to save you know our country from these horrible fires and stuff by grazing and that's what they were intended to do so i was going through um, a airport uh, a couple of years ago and i see one of those boards that have a oh they're they're constantly changing i don't know what they're called but it has a forest on it and it has a courtroom set up and then it says our forests need a good attorney pulls earth first i'm thinking we need that we Uh need that too we need something like our neighbors they're three women they're fifth generation they all have college educations and they're managing 
a bunch of natural resources and they're educated and they're young. You wouldn't even know it by looking at them and they're fabulous. They need to be on a billboard mm -hmm. in an airport back in Chicago. Yep. And that's what people need to see. I mean, we can do all the stuff we want to about ourselves, but you know, we still project the same image. So we need to go with something younger, I think. So I'm going to bring up the, the question. Agritourism and reaching out to consumers is a big talking point at a lot of agriculture meetings nowadays. And just because we want consumers to know where their food comes from, but and consumers, they do. They want to know, they want to know, you know, what pasture this, this uh, steer got to be raised in or this lamb. They want to meet the farmers. But are you comfortable or, and would you be set up to invite producers out to your ranch? Producers. Or, sorry, sorry, consumers. Let me correct that. Yeah. Consumers out to your ranch. Gosh, that's a lot of work, you know. It, it, but that's and that's that's my question. I, I, I like to ask producers that, that question because yeah. for so long we've been beating that drum that we mm -hmm. consumers need to know, know where their food comes from. Are producers ready to step up to the plate and, and be ready to actually tell that story if they want to showcase it? And, and I'm not saying that's the golden ticket because liability is a factor and so many more things. But would you be comfortable letting consumers come out to your ranch? We do a few things like that with school kids yep. during lambing and stuff, and we don't really hide anything. Mm -hmm. You know, there's afterbirth on the ground. I mean, uh, it's the real yep. deal. And they see little lambs born. Skies even let them assist with lambs. Our cattle are out on the range, so they're not. We don't really have them in a calving pen. They're mm -hmm. pretty much calve on the range. It's mild out there, and so not so much with cattle. But we do do that, and. Um, you know, we have people out. We always invite people. We like to take young people. We like to bring people to D.C. when we come. If we can't bring a couple of kids with us and show them around, we try to, like, do that. And I think it's something we're both going to try to continue to do. But, yeah, I would be. I have a neighbor that lives up the road from me, and she had an extra house that she turned it into an Airbnb. We're two hours out of Portland. They live on a wheat ranch. She's got a couple pet dairy cows and some chickens and on her airbnb she advertises it if do you want the whole tour you want to see the chickens you want to feed the chickens you want to pet the cows you want to do you want to go out and do target shooting she has a place to do that and you know what she's booked almost every night and it's not even a fancy house they want to do that so maybe it is it is a thing that we down the road would look look to maybe do yeah it's just that you have to have the body to, somebody's got to be able to be there to do that would yeah. you give the tourist guy? I'm I'm probably not G-rated to give <laughs> give tours. You know, I know we got a busy day here, and uh, for our listeners, uh, this is uh, taking place the last weekend of September, and we have a snowstorm <laughs> heading to north-central Montana. That's really going to throw off the, the end of this uh, Public Lands Council national meeting, and we have folks uh, heading out here pretty soon. I know we have meetings throughout the day, but... Uh, any last tips you have for, for producers out there uh, to just maybe give them a boost of confidence in a time of low commodity prices, low beef prices, and, and why why they just need to, you know, continue on in this industry and, and, and what they can maybe do to, to better their businesses? Well, first off, I think it was a Montana conspiracy to uh, get everybody here, then snow them in so they'd have to spend more money here in downtown Great Falls. So I'm um, not ruling that out. But you know what? You look back in time. We've been there. Don't worry about low ag commodity prices. I know it seems like the end of the world, 
But uh, I was just fortunate to be – we got a pretty rough winter like everybody else did last year. And uh, numbers down, high death loss, blah, blah, blah. So I was looking through some old records. My brother called, and he says, you got any old records? And they went clear back to the 40s and 50s and 60s. And I just scrolled back through there, and it's it's not anything that we hadn't seen and, and got through. In fact, there's, there was even a couple, couple of the deals that were worse than the one we're in. So that makes you feel better. But – it's not forever. Uh, like I said earlier, ag survives, and uh, we're the salt of the earth, the rawhide. And uh, if you maybe you won't, but I would say be optimistic. It ain't going to be down forever. So uh, power on. You know, you mentioned uh, at an event we were last night about how important it is for agriculture groups to work together to be a combined voice. So, being in all these ag groups, I think we could debate any topic and debate it, debate it to death. I mean, somebody can stand up and says today's Friday, and I'm sure we could have a 15-minute debate on that, which is unfortunate because it takes a lot of time. But if you get down to the brass tacks of it, we need to. We're united on way more issues than what we're divided on. We, I think Jennifer said it well this morning when she said we're way more united on the issues. So don't let a minor deal uh, make you think you got to go reinvent the wheel. Get involved in the process. Uh, I've been there through some contentious times, and uh, you know what? If you stay at the table and you stay involved. Uh, we'll get through this, and there was a lot of good Montana leadership back in the back in the olden days that uh, held us accountable, and I think that's the key. If be there, I mean these are open caucuses, uh, state reports. Be there, make your pitch, get involved, take a position. If you want to change policy, you got to be involved. But if you're just at back home, back bad mouthing uh, these organizations, that gets us nowhere. And we got enough enemies out there. You can go right down the list, and uh, we know who they are. And uh, we need to be do better at uh, staying focused on what unites us and uh, fight the common enemy and quit spending so much time debating amongst ourselves. Do you guys have a website or Facebook page where our listeners can learn more about your operation? I do. I'm starting a Facebook page because, um, but I haven't, I'm starting a Facebook page, but I haven't got it all. It's, I haven't got it started yet. I'm too busy right now. But I will. When I get a little bit more time this fall, I'll get some stuff on it. Yeah. And what's no, no, I don't have a website. Just a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. It'll just be Crab Sheep Company. Great. Because that is our name, even though we're half cattle. Yes. Like it says on the wall in the NCBA office. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, uh, it's been a great conversation here. And I'm sure I could come up with some more topics here. But... Uh, if we would have been in the bar, I think we could have talked a little longer there, too. We, we maybe sang some karaoke. I think I heard you singing really loud the other night, and a big smile on your face. Yes, the, the, heartwarming. the O'Hare Motor Inn's Sip and Dip. Uh, <sighs> it's a great place to go sing in a tiki bar. And apparently get a room to, there, too. That's it's why a motel, yes. We yes. stayed there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's uh, definitely have a call out for the O'Hare Motor Inn. Mm-hmm. And what about Piano Pat? She had the place rocking there the other 86 night. 86 years young. Yes, and... I loved your hairdo. No one can rock a beehive like Piano Pat. I love big hair. So for our listeners out there, as we digress out into the sagebrush, (laughs) Sip and Dip is a tiki bar. If you just search top 10 tiki bars in the United States, it'll come up in Great Falls, Montana at the Sip and Dip Lounge. They have mermaids that swim. 
And uh, we, we tried to get Ethan Lane, who's coming in as the Vice President of Government Affairs, uh, to jump in that tank. And, and part, No, we didn't. But uh, it's a great way, you know, we, th- this is great about these meetings, though, the people that we get to meet from across the nation that have different issues but the same struggles in the industry so that's I, it was so great talking with you both here today and thank you. Uh, thank you. anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners out across uh, the podcast platforms well i think we've we've hit it hit everything be involved uh be positive and uh this industry is pretty darn strong the best people there that there is and uh if you do get involved they become more like family and then then that puts added pressure on you because you don't want to disappoint them but uh now being in the ag ag community is is always great and i can't imagine us being in any any other place than than there so thank appreciate the time you let us to kind of rattle on here and uh <laughs> it's it's been fun well, thank you both so much. Again, Sky and, and Penny Krebs from the state of Oregon, thank you for all your work uh, throughout the years and, and your continued support of, of the sheep and cattle industries. And uh, it was a great conversation. Uh, again, thank you so much uh, to our listeners out there. I promise we'll get out of the Rocky Mountain West and do some shows in the, in the Midwest and the Southeast and all over. But we've just been on a travel schedule here in the West. But thank you so much for uh, listening to the Cattleman's Call podcast. Make sure and subscribe. Share the podcast with your friends. and Make sure and visit us online at the ncba.org website and submit your comments on show topics that you want to learn more about. Or if you would like to be a guest on the show make sure and send us an email well that's all the time we have today for today's cattleman's call i'm lane northland thanks for tuning in to ncba's cattleman's call podcast with lane northland for more information visit ncba.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today